Blog Talk Radio. Our, our country is in chaos because we have leaders who are in chaos with themselves. We are in need of a people who are choosing to follow God instead of following man. You, you never see change happen until you begin to make change happen. And unfortunately, that hasn't been done in the church or in the country. You're listening to Zira Today with Pastor Lorenzo T. Neal. Good evening. Happy Monday. This is Zira Today with Pastor Lorenzo T. Neal. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Ellen from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. Our whole goal and purpose of this show is to promote knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And we want to empower you, the listener, to knowing, being, doing, and impacting the world around you. And that's what we are established for. That's what we've been doing for this all this time. And uh, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. And as always, we invite you to become a part of this illuminating journey. Call us in. The line, the number you call in is 917-388-4293. Again, 917-388-4293. We also have a live chat room open, so if you want to get your comments in on the chat room, uh, uh, just have a, a whole other discussion on the chat in the chat room. You're welcome. Go to Blog Talk Radio and join the chat room. And always, we invite you to share with us. We invite your comments. We invite your questions. We invite everything. Uh, just shoot us an email, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. We always like to hear your comments. Uh, you've shared a lot with us. We want to say thank you for that. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Prophesy. Follow us on break on Facebook. Uh uh, my, I have a personal page, Lorenzo T. Neal, and uh, of course the show has a page, Zero Today with Pastor Neal. You go on, follow, follow the blog when you uh, log on, follow us, follow the show, and uh, invite as many people as you can to listen in every week, every Monday. We're here. Uh, we haven't been here kind of uh, off and on because the Lord has blessed us. You know, we've been appointed to a new uh, church in Jackson, Mississippi, and we're in the process of transitioning there. And so, you know, we, we kind of missed some, some Mondays, but we're going to get back on track as the Lord wills. So. But uh, nonetheless, we're still going ahead and do what we got to do as God enables us. Uh, so uh, click on like on Facebook, join the page, uh, follow us on Block Talk Radio, listen in, tell your friends all about the show. Now, we're going to get ready to go to the show. We have something. We have a great show lined up. Today I have two wonderful guests who are going to be here. Uh, Susanna Barlow, former polygamist, uh, polygamist wife and author. She's going to be joining us in the first hour. The second hour we're going to be joined by uh, Janice Hoffman, and she's an author and uh, relationship coach. Uh, so yeah, I'm liking this. <laughs> Both segments are going to be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So stay tuned. Don't tune us out or turn us off. God has a great word and a, a great show lined up for you. Uh, as always, we like to start off the show with prayer, and then we go to the to news. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. This is a day that you've made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. We ask that you forgive us of our sins. Though they may be many, you are still great. 
Lord, just bless the show and the guests and all the listeners that they all be built up in a, uh, a way that is glorifying you. Direct our paths and then lead us and guide us into all truth. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's get to some headlines. Um, now, I know everybody was on pins and needles last week. <laughs> I say pins and needles because, you know, they had the, the threat of the government shutdown last week uh, with John Banner saying that he wanted more cuts. Uh, uh, Paul Ryan presenting a budget that uh, was in so many words, it was probably the best one they had been presented, even though it had some flaws in it. But they waited all the way down to the midnight hour <laughs> before finally reaching an agreement. And I think they ended up ended up agreeing, agreeing on a compromise of cutting about forty five, I mean about forty billion, uh, give or take, thirty nine and some change billion dollars out of a three trillion dollar budget. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, and I'm sure those of you who are listening, if you got your own personal finances, it doesn't doesn't make sense either. But you know, the government is going to do what they're going to want to do and going to do. You know, Congress is going to do it. And at the heart of the issue was what was going to be cut. And I was watching. You know, I, I watch all the major news outlets. I prefer listening to Fox, but you know, I listen to every. I watch all of them, and. Um, how uh, listening to some of the people talk, both Republicans and Democrats, I was like, "Oh my God, why are y'all making this so complicated?" You know what? You you know we need to cut, plain and simple. We need to cut, so just cut. Let people hurt. All right, yeah, and and you know that seems hard. It seems really hard, but I mean, the heart of the matter is, what's more important, saving the government money, because what's going to happen is, you know, we're going to end up getting in more debt. If we don't cut our spending, plain and simple, that's the, no way around it. And uh, what's the what the problem is is these entitlement programs that people are fighting over. And by entitlement programs, um, uh, some people define those like uh, Medicare, Medicaid, um, Head Start, uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, some you know these kind of things. Uh, and and I'm gonna be honest with you. Some of these things, are, uh, these programs, especially Medicare and Head Start, they're they're critical. They are critical to the nation. And uh, you know, sometimes the rich folk just don't get it. <laughs> I said it. I mean it. Sometimes the rich folk just don't get it, and, and they probably won't ever get it. Uh, but those disenfranchised people, they do get it, and they do need it. And the, <laughs> well, I'm gonna leave that alone. Uh, but again, but again, you know the the problem, the real the real issue at hand is the debt, the country's debt. We are trillions of dollars in debt. I, I think the overwhelming uh, the uh, the total for entire debt is fourteen trillion, give or take. And there's no way we can operate anything in the next five to ten years with that kind of debt. And on top of that, most of our bonds that we are we have will be coming up, you know, for payment. Uh, and the next argument uh, and the next battle will be uh, either raising or keeping the debt ceiling. Uh, you know, raising the ceiling. We, we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling simply because of the fact that we got bonds that are coming in, and you know, if we don't pay the bonds, we go default in the bonds. You know, China is going to own us. <laughs> I, 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 don't take me serious on that. 
I'm just told, I'm just joking, but it it really is a serious matter. It it really is a serious matter, and we need to be aware of that fact. Secondly, so you know, so Congress is going to do what it's going to do, and there's really not much you can do about that. Secondly, uh, I, I was flipping through the news, and we we're we're all familiar with the problems that are, that's happening in uh, Northeast Africa, you know. North and East Africa, you know, we saw the news with with Egypt, Tunisia, and now Libya, and all those things going on. But I don't think a lot of people even realize what was happening on the Ivory Coast. The Ivory Coast is going through somewhat of a civil war, where uh, its president, uh, its most recent president, who has been elected—I mean, has been voted out—I'm um, gonna try to say his name right. Y'all, y'all bear with me. Um, Laurent Gbagbo. <laughs> uh, I think I got it close. But uh, in November of last year, he was defeated in an election, and that election, his defeat was, uh, you know, validated. The um, opponent, the opposition uh, leader, or the person who was uh, formally elected, uh, Alonso Couture. Uh, he was recognized as a legitimate uh, winner of the elections by the United Nations, by the United States, by the European Union, and by the African Union. All these all these bodies recognized him as the legitimate winner of the election, but the other guy didn't want to get out. He wanted to hold on to power, and he held on to power, and he sent his troops to just about tackle any of the opposing forces, despite the fact that the people elected this man. And threw the other guy out. And for the past uh, several months, there's been uh, a minor, a small civil war, but thousands have been killed. Thousands of uh, Ivory Coast uh, citizens of the Ivory Coast have been killed in this in this thing. And, and finally, uh, I think either today or yesterday, uh, they finally they finally got to uh, Laurent Gbagbo. Uh, they finally got him. And he was, you know, he formally placed out of power. Shouldn't have taken that long, but you know, our 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 headlines were somewhere else. It's always been somewhere else, you know. Uh, it was somewhere else. It was somewhere else in Rwanda. It was somewhere else in Sudan. It was somewhere else in uh, Nigeria and Kenya and all these other places where there had been civil unrest in on the African continent. And I'm just saying that because a lot of people just are not aware. We don't, you know, the the U.S. media really doesn't cover it that much, and it didn't cover it until uh, the massacres got so far out of hand. You know, that's pretty much when it was covered. But there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, but the the you know we got to make the fact known that that's happening. And every listener, you have a part to play in this. You have a part to play in this. You need to be aware of what's going on in the world, and you know not just let the 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 media tell you what's going on in the world. You need to be aware, aware, and you need to be informed. And and, and you know don't be jived by these guys in Congress or wherever else. All right, that's my rant for today. <laughs> I, I didn't intend to get on that big of a uh, of a rant. But I did, so forgive me. Anyway, we got a great show lined up for you. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we, take, when we come back from the from the break, we will be blessed 
to have on the line with us, uh, Susanna Barlow. Susanna is a former polygamist. She's the author of a book that will bless you. Uh, name of the book is, <clears throat> excuse me, I cannot talk. Name of the book is, where is it? You got that? Get my mind Hey folks, if you're like me, you got a lot of stuff on your computer. I'm always writing papers and saving them is important to me. But about a month ago, my computer crashed on me and I almost started to panic, but I didn't. I had everything backed up on a jump, but I also had Carbonite online. Since 2006, Carbonite has backed up over 80 billion files. 80 billion files. So that means you don't have to shuffle through your stacks of CDs or jump drives or whatever else. Carbonite Online uses the same encryption software that's used in online banking transactions and e-commerce. So you can be assured that your files are safe. 
As a matter of fact, it's so safe, it's kept in a storage, and if you lose it, you can get it right back because they, re they provide fast, simple, and easy file recovery straight back to your computer right where it was. And you can do it in a few simple steps. You can try Carbonite online for free for the next 15 days by visiting their website, www.carbonite.com. I'm telling you, I use it, I love it, and I'm sure you're going to love it too. Give them a try. Carbonite.com, an easy way to back up all your important files that you want to keep safe. Thanks to the Venture Car from Capital One, we get double miles on every purchase. So we have the trip to New Orleans twice as fast. We get double miles every time we use our card. No matter what we're buying. I'll take it. Since double miles out of fast, we can bring the whole gang. It's a venture card from Capital One. Money Magazine's best rewards card if you aim to rack up airline miles. What's in your wild? Hello and welcome back to Zero of the Day with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I am your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Glad to have you on the line. Glad to have you in the chat room. Glad to have you listening all over this world by way of Block Talk Radio. Now, uh, this segment, I, I have a very special guest and uh, I want to share uh, this person's testimony and life and her uh the way God has blessed her to be a blessing to so many people in the world. Many of you are probably familiar uh, with TV shows, Sister Wives, and um, uh, Big Love on HBO, and all the you know those shows that talk about uh, complex families. And, you know we're familiar with the nuclear families on that. But uh, the guest that I have in this segment is Miss Susanna Barlow, and she's the author of what. What ah doggone it is right here. What peace there may be. <laughs> I, I I couldn't get it because my I kept my notes kept going back and forth uh, when during the first part. <laughs> but we have Susanna Barlow. Susanna, are you there? I'm here. Hi, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Gotta excuse my little flip ups here. I've been I'm still kind of sleepy, tired. I've been dry. Uh, commuting back and forth to my new church in Jackson, Mississippi, and boy, I tell you, sometimes it wears on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. But uh, I I'm still a little saint. <laughs> I'm still a Listen, I am so glad to have you on the show. Um, I I'm telling you, when I when I I've read the, I got your book, I read through the book, and it, it, the story that you tell, the way you present it is just, it, it's phenomenal. I'm, I really in, I enjoy you, – you got a good writing style. Thank you. 
but the story in and of itself is just is what I really like and and um you know I I I wouldn't have never guessed anything about what you've written. So for those of you my listeners who are not familiar uh Susanna was a former polygamist and she experienced a lot in that lifestyle and that or that culture rather not lifestyle but culture and um Susanna I I, I want you to help uh Help our listeners understand polygamy and help us understand your background with this. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, uh, polygamy, and however else, how, whatever else you can share with us about that. Well, first of all, I appreciate you clarifying that it is a culture, and it's more than a lifestyle. While I do believe that some people practice polygamy as a lifestyle of a very minority uh, people, the practice of polygamy in America today is primarily a culture, and that has described it very well for me growing up. I grew up in the city. A lot of people think of p- growing up in polygamy as being in a compound or, or living in an environment where all of your neighbors and all of your family members are part of a community. A geographic community but that wasn't the case for me in my life at all while I knew that there were other families practicing polygamy within the city I felt somewhat isolated from them having neighbors on either side of me that were considered outsiders and so I didn't have the opportunity to go to parks or play out on the street with friends or go to public school or anything like that. My entire life from birth to marriage was primarily spent inside that house, either working or, you know, spending time with my brothers and sisters who I was much closer to than my parents. I didn't really feel like I had real parents. Let me interrupt you right here. Uh, now, we're about to drop a bombshell. You are the 23rd of how many children? 46. 23 out of 46. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I had I, I uh, five brothers, and I'm the middle child. I'm the second of all five of them, or six mm-hmm. of us together. So I cannot imagine <laughs> growing up with that many siblings. Now, did you all grow up together or how did that how did that work? Yes, we grew up we grew up in the same house at the same time. There is a pretty big generation gap from the oldest brother to the youngest brother. And so obviously the oldest brother has moved out before the youngest brother is ever born. And so there there wasn't ever 46 children living in the home at one time, but there was probably at least 30 children at one time. Wow. And the, our family was just a medium-sized family. A medium-sized family? Yes. Oh, wow. So I, I have a friend who is the 75th child of her father. So... Help me to understand, help myself and the listeners to understand. Um, 
the way polygamy works, um, the father gets to marry as many as he wants and has as many ch- Just clarify that for us because I know it, you know, we see it on the television show and it's sort of glamorized on both shows that we watched on television, you know, with the Sister Wives. And I, I noticed that you did a review of Sister Wives on your YouTube channel and I got a chance to watch that a little bit. You know, I've been, uh, I've been <laughs> kind of doing a little research. <laughs> but okay. just, just share uh, a little bit for us about that. Well, I do think both shows uh, glamorize it and give a false impression, and it's no fault of the the show. You know, they're meant to entertain, and, and they do a good job with that. But it's not a true representation of what it's like growing up in a polygamous home. And I think that it's important to understand that polygamy and the practice of polygamy is a religious motivation. It, it's not like a man says, you know, I want ten wives, so I'm just going to go out and pick those ten women to be my wife. There's a process. There's there's a lot of praying involved and this desire to find the person you're meant to be married to rather than just I'll take all of those and and throw in that extra one for good measure. It, it's it's much more serious, and it's taken more sacred, and and it's considered one of the highest principles or doctrines that is allowed within the religious culture. And so it's it's something that's considered sacred, as well as having children. It isn't that they have children simply by being with their their wives, but rather they choose to have those children and they choose to have as many children as they can. There's a strong belief about um, bringing this special seed onto the earth, these children born of, you know, born within the culture are considered better than other children and they have more value in the eyes of God. And so it's it's their obligation to try to bring as many of those exceptional souls into the world as is possible. And both the men and the women feel this responsibility. Okay, that, I understand. And and if I understand correctly, most uh, polygamous uh, sects, I guess you can say, are you know part of the LDS Church or affiliated or come out of the LDS church. Is that correct? Only only a very long time ago. Um, I would say the vast majority of them are simply born into it after several generations. Uh, the original polygamists departed from the church in about 1890 and established a fundamentalist group and most of the members today are the descendants of those original um, members that were excommunicated for the practice of polygamy. So in a sense they came from the LDS uh, mainstream LDS church but it's been so long ago that most of the polygamists do not associate or connect themselves 
to the LDS Church whatsoever. If anything, they think that they are the true and correct version of the LDS Church. And it's not much different in any other <laughs> religion. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it is not. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about your book. Now, earlier you, you talked about that you grew up in a, a city, and um, I know in Chapter 2, uh, and the only reason I know this is because this is the one that's uh, – uh, Chapter 2, I think, is one of the ones that you can read online or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you talk about uh, how different – how how you notice the difference between yourself and the other girls in your neighborhood simply by looking at how you dressed and you care to share a little bit about that? Well, I I think all of us um begin comparing ourselves to others that are different from us, whatever the case may be, at quite a young age and for me the differences were very stark because I looked very different from the little girl on the other side of the fence. And, you know, I had to wear a dress, kind of an old-fashioned-looking dress, and and I didn't think anything of it. It was very normal to me. I thought that little girl that was wearing pink shorts and and a little top and with her hair hanging down, I thought she was the strange one. You know, and I didn't know why her mother wouldn't comb her hair. I didn't realize that, that... People left their hair hanging down. That that was a, a normal way to to wear your hair. So for me, it looked like her mother was negligent and not combing her hair because my hair was was worn in in tight wet braids, as were all of my sister's hair. And so there was this sense that I was very different. But at that age, I viewed it as that little girl was very different that I was the normal one, and she represented the strange or the different for me in my life. And, and I think that she became um, a demarcation, a, a line, a boundary that prevented me from really having access to the outside world, anything that went beyond our, our property line seemed very strange and alien, and she symbolized that alien world. Okay, and, and you're right that that does that does make sense. You know, um, even as myself, I we I grew up in what's called the hood, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you know when you when you when I re, would relate to uh, persons outside of the community, the neighborhood, uh, the area town that I grew up in, it was much different. You know. Uh, you come from out of the projects, and then you go over to the other side of town where there's those nice big houses, and the parks are actually clean, and you can walk in them. <laughs> Same thing. Um, right. Now, you mentioned um, a little bit about the abuse that you experience. Um Get get some light because I don't want to. I I don't want to give this the impression that. Uh, all polygamous families are abusive because that's what the media did recently with uh, what's that guy uh, in Texas? Yes, uh, the Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs, yeah, you know they they removed all those hundreds of children, then put them back, and I mean they just made it horrible, uh, a very horrible experience. Um, what was the difference 
between how you were raised and uh, what you experienced to uh, and what was portrayed by the media uh, with uh, Jeff Warren Jeff? Well, I think that the mistake that was made in Texas when they raided the compound there is that they didn't really have evidence of abuse. And you're going to find abuse in the world wherever you go, and it's going to be random. There's not going to be a whole neighborhood of abusive families. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. You're going to have yeah. ones that are good, and you're going to find your abusers. And, and I'm glad you make that point. You make that point in your book is that, is that you know, can't just single it out. Right. And so I think that that's something that happened in Texas. They kind of lumped the whole polygamist community as, as abusers and abusive when that's not the case at all. But I happened to grow up in an abusive family that also happened to be a polygamist home. And abuse is... is part of humanity and we abuse one another when we're acting out of our worst selves and I think that the way that polygamy impacted the abuse in my home was the secrecy around preventing anyone from discovering or feeling a need to report that my father was a practicing polygamist prevented any accountability so if there's an abuser in that home nobody can deal with it you can't call in help from the outside world you can't seek for mental health services um, any kind of counseling or or uh, a hotline for for suicide because you want to kill yourself you can't deal with it anymore those amenities and those services just weren't available, and there was no accountability for the abusers. And so I think that that contributed to the perpetuation of the abuse and the escalation of the abuse because there was nothing to stop it. There was no no recognizing for the abuser and those that were being abused as to what was actually happening. And so the abuse, the victims of abuse, become very comfortable with abuse, and the abuse itself becomes normal and routine. And the abuser also expects the daily victim, the the person that they can, can vent on and control and manipulate. And that relationship is established, and in this case the relationship of many, and everyone supports it, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, a supportive atmosphere is created around normalcy. And and that is how I grew up in a home. Okay, I, I got to take a quick break.
When mucus settles into a child's chest, the congestion isn't much fun. This is gonna be so cool! Junior! Huh? This is great! Like father, like son. New Mucinex Mini Melts. The quick melting, great tasting way to break up mucus that causes kids' congestion. Uh oh. New Mucinex Mini Melts. Need a painter? Mucinex in. Mu Gaining weight was easy. All I had to do was sit down and eat. Losing weight's a lot harder. I have to work at it every day. But with every step, I lower my risk for type 2 diabetes and heart disease. And that makes every step, every choice, every day. Very much worth the effort. How was your run? Hard, but I hung in there and did my two miles. How was your workout? Great. Dinner's ready. I hope you worked up an appetite. Mm, a healthy meal like this, you better believe it. Thanks for keeping us on track. Hey, every step matters. We can do this. And it's very much worth the effort. Learn how you can help stop diabetes by losing weight, eating healthy, and staying active. Visit CheckUpAmerica.org or call 1-800-DIABETES. Here's a two-minute meditation from Pastor Lorenzo Neal. The book of Daniel, the first chapter, talks about four heroic young Hebrew boys who lived during a time of captivity, yet remained faithful to the God of their ancestors and themselves. Daniel, Azariah, Meshiel and Hananiah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were all children like myself when they began serving God, even though they began serving God while in captivity. They were young men who had high intellect, a stable spiritual life, and good physical appearances. Serving God paid off for them. Not only did they obtain favor from God, but they also obtained favor from men. But they proved themselves faithful to God in spite of very difficult situations. Of course, you can recall the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to the image presented before them. Yet, when they were tossed into a fiery furnace, even the king himself worried about them. And when he went to find them, not only did he find them well, but he also found the son of a man. And also, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the king also worried. But we found that God protected him, and he was delivered from the lion. God wants you to be faithful to him. Why? Because he's faithful to you. There's nothing you can do, really. The only thing you can really do is serve him in the newness of life. The psalmist put it this way. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you shall dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Beloved, the key is to be faithful. If you're faithful over a few things, God will make you rule over many. Welcome back to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I am joined this afternoon, this great Monday, rainy Monday here in Louisiana, South Louisiana. I'm joined by Susanna Barlow. She's the author of What Peace There May Be, and she has been sharing. Now, my mic just want to act up. 
she has been sh- been sharing with us um her uh, her uh freedom from polygamy and um that like that culture and all of that and her struggles with abuse I'm rambling on are you still there Susanna? I'm here boy this is going to be a this is a hard day for me <laughs> I, I maybe I needed some coffee but anyway uh, we are joined by her, and she's been sharing. And before we went to a commercial break, she shared with uh, with us about the abuse that she experienced. Um, but I want to you you talked about something early on. You mentioned something early on that really caught my attention. Um, you said you felt isolated. Uh, and share 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 about that. Share what do you mean by isolated? How did you feel isolated? Why did you, why did you feel isolated? Share with us, please. I think some of it was the the way that I was taught and some of the things that my parents taught me. And and um, one of those concepts or ideas is that I was better than other people. And that notion itself isolates. It, it makes me separate from you. It, it pushes me away from you. And... I looked around at the world, everything outside the window, outside the gate, outside the front door, everything out there I judged as bad, inferior, and not something that I was meant to be a part of. And so there was this emotional isolation that I didn't belong to this world that I was a part of, that somehow I was an alien on this planet, that I had been sent to earth, but that I didn't really belong here. And then there was the the physical isolation, not being allowed to interact with others, not having the opportunity to, to be educated, to go to school, to make friends, to see for myself that the world is not full of ugly, hateful, evil people but rather the opposite. It, it's full of wonderful, good, loving people. I didn't know that. I had never heard that. That concept was completely foreign to me, and I was prevented from experiencing it for myself until well into adulthood. And so there was the, the religious isolation, this this barrier that said, you're better than them, and so you have to stay protected over here. And the rest of the world is just a stage prop for your existence. And that was a kind of abuse itself, in my opinion, to place a child on that kind of a pedestal and to to give them that sort of arrogant self-importance was very detrimental and as a child, I think we're naturally very open and forgiving and and we don't really see each other as better or worse than until we get much older. But it was it was drilled into me at a very young age that, that I was better than others, that were outside the culture. And so that created um, a religious isolation. And then just simply being in an abusive home where you can't talk about what's happening to you, where if you get... A beating, a physical beating, you can't even talk to your 
brothers and sisters about it for fear of recriminations or, or somebody coming after you with a stick saying, you're not supposed to talk about this, or you're criticizing was the term that was used. And so then there was emotional isolation that comes from being abused and the way that you feel trapped and alone, even if there are others being abused around you. And then to add the final layer, you have the physical isolation, uh, the, the big tall fences and the trees and this protective barrier around our home and property, which was very small, by the way, that prevented me from having a visceral, tangible connection with other people. And I could view them, but I couldn't touch them. I couldn't be a part of their lives, and I didn't understand their lives. And so I felt very alone in that sense, and it it forced me to cling to the culture ever more tightly so that I would feel like I belonged somewhere, so that I had something to connect to. So so how did you or when did you decide to come out of that culture? And how did you come out of that culture? Well, it was actually my husband. I I married a man that was raised in a polygamous home as I was. And we had a child together and about a year into our marriage, a year and a half, he came home from a church meeting and announced that he wasn't going to attend any more meetings. He, he he didn't believe anymore. He didn't subscribe to all of the ideas that that it was felt that you needed to subscribe to to belong. And that put us both on this path together that if we don't belong there and we don't believe everything that's being taught, what do we believe? And where do we belong? And so we we both left, and it wasn't this, this physical leaving where we departed and moved to another city and, and tried to, to fit in, you know, in another geographic location, but rather an emotional displacement that we no longer participated in activities and events. We, we weren't informed about um, weddings and different celebrations that might, be going on within the group or the or the clan and you just felt cut off from that and thrust out into the world to try to figure out where you fit into it all now and that's taken me many years it's not this quick break where you just change your clothes and your appearance and you make yourself appear as though you fit in the actual sense of belonging comes from deep inside yourself, comes from a security and a and a knowing that you're part of God and as we all are. And when you feel that and you realize that this whole earth and the world and all of the people in it are his creations and, and I'm one of those creations and you're one of those creations the connection began to be healed that that disconnect began to be healed rather and and uh, you know i i am glad that you made that uh that uh, point out that it wasn't a physical uh actual physical moving away or coming out now how did 
your family and his family and your 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 community. I'm assuming that you know the, those who still in the community. How did they react to that? Well, they they were very uncomfortable with it. It it poses a threat when somebody leaves because they may have connections with other members and they may influence other members to also leave. And so there was some some discomfort and um, some rejection. I wouldn't say it was it was extreme or there was no mistreatment or anything of that nature. We weren't fleeing in the dark of night like it's sometimes portrayed. Uh, I understood that they they wanted me to be a part of what they had and I was somewhere else and so it was just awkward it was just really awkward it, more than anything and, and I still attended certain family functions that if my father had a birthday celebration or something like that then they would invite everybody in whether you were maintaining your religious beliefs or not and so there was still the opportunity to interact with family members that I was no longer a part of their inner circle. Yeah, you mentioned at the end of the book, you, you mentioned that uh, the book is about polygamy and not against polygamy. Uh, what's the significance of that? Share, explain a little bit more about that. Well, there are actually a lot of people, well, I don't know about a lot, but there are many people that I know, friends and family members, who are practicing polygamists. And I think they do a marvelous job. Uh, and they're not abusive and they're not unkind and they're not, um, they don't isolate their children. It, they're freer thinkers. And I don't like to just take this idea of polygamy and just put it in a box that says, this is wrong, this is bad. And, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And if you read the book, you'll, you'll recognize that polygamy is really just the background for the story. And so I could talk about abuse and, and I could bring a human face, a human dilemma to what's often misunderstood and... and um, people are are disconnected from polygamous families and what it feels like to be raised in that environment. And while some of the the television shows like Big Love and Sister Wives, they do a lot really to bring the humanity to to the culture. Uh, I hoped that my book would also do the same, that I wanted to focus on, on what it's like as a human being, to have that struggle to find oneself and to to free oneself from the burdens and the pain of abuse and connect there and not really try to create this anti-polygamy campaign. I wasn't interested in preventing others from practicing polygamy or having the freedom to practice polygamy. I think if if you have consenting adults and and people are kind and good to their children and there's not abuse and and misuse of 
of authority or power, then I think that it's it's I'm perfectly fine with people living their lives as they see fit. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Again, we've been joined by Susanna Barlow. She's the author of what, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, can't talk. She's the author of the book, What Peace There May Be. Uh, she's a speaker, um, and she shares her story of coming out of a polygamy, uh, polygamous culture. And Susanna, can you tell my listeners how, if they want to get a copy of your book or uh, contact you for speaking engagements, can you share that information with my listeners? Sure. My website, which is the best place to contact me and buy the book, is www.susannabarlow.com. You can buy an ebook for those who, of you who like to read your books electronically. Uh, and that's what I have, in, the ebook. <laughs> right, it's just so convenient. And you can also get it in hardback, paperback. And I have a contact form. Anybody who wants to contact me, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, the whole works. Everything's on my website, SusannaBarlow.com. All right. Uh, Suzanne, again, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you uh, for uh, coming on this little show. Well, <laughs> and, it's my pleasure. And, and sharing your testimony. And um, oh. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Live radio. Uh, and sharing your testimony and sharing uh, all of that. Again, uh, listeners, go out and purchase your copy of the book, uh, What Peace There May Be. Uh, it's a wonderful read, I'm telling you. It's a great read, a wonderful memoir. And uh, do you have a second memoir or anything coming out that you'd like I, to share? I do. I do, actually. Um, I'm in the middle of writing it. I, I don't have a title for it yet that I've settled on. Uh, but I, I talk a lot more about marriage, what it's like getting married within the culture, and the process of breaking free from old conditioned patterns and from the mindset of the culture I was raised in and what it takes and how abuse impacts one's ability to parent their own children. And sometimes we're able to, to break the cycle and sometimes we're not. And we turn around and become abusers okay. ourselves. Hey, I have there's a caller on the line. So, uh, caller, you're on the air. Do you have any questions or comments for Susanna? Well, I, I have a comment. Yes, yes, I, I can phrase it to where Susanna Susanna may be able to address it. Uh, I understand what she said about uh, polygamy, and my position would be I, coming from a biblical position. And that is that uh, polygamy probably doesn't allow the deep interpersonal potential that uh, there is for a man and a woman. Uh, although I understand it, it was practiced in the Bible, I don't think it was the ideal. But uh, this is my uh, observation now: is I, in this day and age, I find that the greatest inhibitor to uh, male-female healthy interaction is lack of effective communication. And I think we have a difficult time uh, assigning the woman uh, part of that responsibility. 
I know the job market and all fields have opened up to women. You know, they're pilots, they're everything. Even they can run for president, be governors. But in terms of men expressing how they would like women to be more participatory in the uh, early stages of communication, I think we haven't grown to that level yet, and, and I'm very disappointed. Uh, how do, what's your read on that? Well, as far as as what I've witnessed in polygamous families, uh, communication becomes the cornerstone for the success of any of those relationships because without it, the consequences are compounded. Um, If you have a minor communication issue between a man and a woman, imagine bringing four or five women into the equation and how it becomes a huge deal instead of something that's minor. So communication becomes extremely important in these relationships, and I've watched it be very useful and developed at a very early stage within the marriages. So so you think that uh, communication is is more enhanced in polygamous relationships than monogamous ones? Well, I I wouldn't put it that way, but I would say that a polygamous relationship, to be successful, requires a greater level of communication and a need for more honesty and transparency if you want a successful situation. And there are many situations in which there is not good communication, and it completely fails. So I guess what I'm saying is the opportunity for... uh, greater communication exists within those relationships and is required for a healthy family structure. That's an interesting observation. Uh, Pastor, I'd like to hang on if that's okay. Uh, that That's fine. we got uh, another caller, and I'll get to this caller. Uh, oh, no, that's, that's my next guest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that would be it. Uh, matter of fact, um, you got anything else you want to say, Susan? Because uh, I'm going to be running out of time for this segment, and I have to be moving on to the next segment. Uh. Well, I, I just really appreciate what you're doing with your your show, and your humble spirit is very touching to me. And I consider it an honor every time I have an opportunity to interact with another fellow human being simply because it was denied me for 20, 25 years of my life. And so it's it's extraordinary to have the opportunity with all of the radio hosts and the different audiences I've been able to speak in front of to have the chance to to know who I am by seeing and knowing you, even in this small way. Well, well I do... I I appreciate your kind words uh, and uh, got me smiling. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 again, uh, I strongly encourage all my listeners to go out and purchase your copy of uh, Susanna's book. It's a wonderful read. It's very moving and touching. And I'm I'm telling you, you will come out uh, you come out different from after reading this. It will really be a blessing to you. Susanna, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, if the Lord allows, we'll probably have you on again to share some more when the, your next book comes out because I'm sure that will be just as good as the first one. Well, I'll let you know when that happens. 
Ah, I'll be more than <laughs> more than glad to have you on. So uh, we're going to move into our second segment. In the second segment, we'll be joined by Janice Hoffman. Janice Hoffman is the author of Relationship Rules, uh, 12 Strategies for Creating a Love That Lasts. And I'm telling you, not only is this book good, but she's a wonderful woman who's going to share a lot. So after this break, we'll come back and have her on the line. Blessings. Hi. I'm looking to save an insurance. You don't want to deal with a lot of flibbity-flab or mumbo-jumbo. Sounds like you need to name your price. No gobbledygook. Never. Do I still get all the dag-nubbit coverage I need? Sure. We give you a quote, and you can adjust your price up and down to find something that works for you. This thing is okey mcsmoky skittle doo Great. I think. Diggity. Oh. Still not sure. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. Call or click today. Thanks to the Venture Card from Capital One, we get double miles on every purchase. So we have the trip to New Orleans twice as fast. We get double miles every time we use our card. No matter what we're buying. I'll take it. Since double miles out of fast, we can bring the whole gang. The car could beat double miles. Have you seen cars? Get the Venture Card from Capital One. Money Magazine's best rewards card if you aim to rack up airline miles. What's in your wild... I don't want to go blind from diabetes. I don't want to lose a foot or a leg. I don't want to have kidney failure, so I'm taking control. I'm controlling my diabetes. It's making a huge difference. I'm eating healthy and staying physically active. I'm taking my medicine. If I can do it, anyone can. Control your diabetes for life. Call 1-800-438-5383. You know, coming to this cafe to write, but I've never been able to bring my ideas together in just the right way. That's till I came across Zero Publishing. The staff at Zero helped me bring my ideas from simple scribble and paper to a presentable manuscript that I can not only brag about, but take my writing to the next level and publish. And they do it all, too, from idea and manuscript development to producing a final product any way you want it. The rates were great. And the finished product is something everybody can love. So if you're like me and want to get your ideas out of your head onto the printed page, consider Zero. Check them out today. Visit their site, www.zeropublishing.webs.com. And I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Hey, radio fam. Can you imagine a woman desperate enough for a child that she would deceive her own father-in-law into committing incest? How about imagining having husbands so wicked that even God kills them? Can you imagine a prominent family covering up secrets dangerous enough to destroy their wealth and legacy? If this sounds like something ripped from the headlines of the days rich and famous, it isn't. It's the story of Judah and Tamar found in Genesis 38. This biblical story shadows much of what's really happening in today's family. In his book, A Breach in the Family, Pastor Lorenzo Neal uses this biblical story to address many of the issues today's families face. He talks about how much family matters can be detrimental to becoming the kind of family God created. He talks about secrets of the breach that can lead to secret rules and behaviors that go on for generations. Despite it all, God does give a way to repair the breach in the family and leave a lasting legacy that cannot be erased. Order your copy today of A Breach in the Family by Pastor Lorenzo Neal on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, and other retail outlets. 
And for a limited time, you can get your copy for a special discounted price by visiting www.zeropublishing.webs.com. Get your copy today and be blessed. So it seeds of wisdom, power, insight, and liberation. Promoting knowledge that is engaging and transforming. This is Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello, Radio Fam. Welcome back. This is Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome. Happy Monday to you. Hope you've been good. It's been good to you. I'm glad to be on the line. I've been, I'm still tired, you know, I, 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 uh, making the transition to this new church. And I'll tell you, it's got me, I'm excited about it, but the commute so far until I get fully transmi- transitioned uh, is kind of wary. But nonetheless, I'm still glad to be alive in the land of the living. And I hope you all too. Um, last segment, we had Suzanne Barlow share her testimony. This semester, this segment, we have another wonderful woman joining us today uh on the show we will we are joined by Janice Hoffman who is the author of Relationship Rules 12 Strategies for Creating a Love That Lasts Hello Janice are you on air with us I'm still here thank you so much for having me on the call Greetings uh, from Colorado Greetings from South Louisiana <laughs> where I'm still awake well, good. <clears throat> blessings to you. Yes, blessings to you. Now, uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, the reason I, I'm so fascinated by having uh, Janice on the line is because this lady has uh, she has a phenomenal background. You know, she's not just talking about relationships, and you know, there's a lot of people writing about relationships, but this young lady has been trained and mentored by none other than Dr. John Gray. And those of you who are familiar with Dr. John Gray, he's the men are for what? Men are for men are from, men are from Mars. Mars. Women are from Venus. <laughs> Did I get it right? <laughs> you got it right. And, and uh so tell uh, before we go into further tell tell I just want to hear about how did that come about <laughs> your relationship with uh John Gray. <laughs> You know, I always say it was God calling because I was teaching three other different kind of support group type classes weekly, and Men Are From Mars came out, and it was hugely popular. John Gray was on every talk show, day, night, radio show, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to start a Mars Venus support group here in Boulder, and it'll be a hit because the show is, I mean, his book is such a hit. So I called the number in the back of his book. I told them my idea. They said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have anything like that we can send you. I said, okay, well, you know, have a nice day. Hung up the phone. They really didn't think too much about it. Two and a half years later, the phone rang, and it was his office calling. John Gray had decided to open up a company called the Mars Venus Institute, and he wanted to train a few people to become Mars Venus facilitators to teach the workshop that he was traveling around the country teaching every single weekend. Weekend. And he wanted to know if I wanted to become one of his facilitators and be trained by him personally. And and so who knew that they kept my name and number for two and a half years? And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, yeah. that's why I always say it was God calling because it couldn't have been any other way. Well, by, I believe, you know. Uh-huh. 
So, uh, so when did that start? That was what ninety something. That was in ninety five. Wow. That was way back in ninety five, and so I was went out there. I was one of the first ten that got trained, and the only one that really, um, you know, I just took to it like a fish, and I fell in love with the material. I fell in love with the people on his staff, and and I fell in love with you know just John Gray was just such a wonderful human being, and I I just wanted to immerse myself in that philosophy because I realized if we think that we're all the same in our value system as men and women, we, we miss the mark. And I was married for 13 years and I always tell people I did everything right. If you're trying to get rid of somebody because I didn't know, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know what he valued. And so I was doing things that I valued for him and not getting the reaction that I was looking for, not realizing he had a completely different value system because we're just not brought up learning these things. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I understand that you're also a minister, right? Is that I correct? am a non-denominational Christian minister and um, was ordained back in 1999. And I do a lot of funerals and celebrations. We call it celebrations of life because funeral just seems so negative. Yeah. And, um, you know, like one a week, sometimes more, but on the average about one a week. And it's really my my perception and how I look at being alive. You know, we, we live in a world where I think people, if they don't talk about death, it just doesn't exist. And, you know, somebody said to me the other day, well, we're all terminal. And, and I mean, it, and he's right. I mean, at some point we're all going to pass and, and meet with our creator, but we don't know when that day is going to be. And we live as if we have all the time in the world. And I can tell yeah. you, we don't. <laughs> I've yes, got too many young people and too many babies to know that that's just it's it's our own arrogance that we take for granted every day when yeah. when it's really a gift, you know. Exactly. I, trust me. I know as as I have to do the same things often. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about your book. Your book okay. is your book is really interesting to me. Uh, not just because it deals with relationships, but the way you approach. Uh, your strategies in the book. Uh, I mean, all of that is just about a little bit interesting. So let, let's let's talk about the book. What made what led you to write relationship rules? Well, it's, it's it it occurred to me that people were very good at falling in love, and not so great at staying in love. And we live in a very you know I want what I want when I want it society. And if I'm not getting what I want, then I'm going to go where I can get what I want. And in in the wake of all that are children and other, you know, families, the, the dreams lost, hearts broken. And I can tell you, being married and being single, it's easier to, if you're in a relationship that can be healed through communication, where there isn't lots of dysfunction or addiction or anything like that, there, it's a lot easier to learn communication skills and get closer with that person that you're with than it is to go out and find somebody new. It, it's the grass is not greener on the other side. It's just, you know, you both have to mow both sides of the fence. So I wrote the book to give people a guidelines on how to keep the love alive. And one of the things I did that I wanted my book to stand out from all the other relationship books is I put a how-to for men and a how-to for women, as, as you know from my book, yeah. for each one of the guidelines or each one of the rules. So that you don't have to waste your time doing what doesn't work. I wasted so much time doing what doesn't work because I just didn't know. And and I think when 
especially, and men especially love my book because it's like a roadmap. It tells them exactly what they need to do. Oh, men, I get the, the best feedback I get is from men, and because people said, "Oh, you know, women are only going to buy this book," and it's, men love a, a roadmap. And, well, you know, you, how to get from point A to point B, and and that's what my book does for them in each one of the each one of the twelve rules, if you will, and and so they really appreciate that because men feel lost. Women are always changing their mind. You know, one day we feel this way, and one day we feel that way, and one day we want to do this, and one day we want to do that. And and that's partly just because of how we're designed and hormones and all the other things that go into that. But it's really hard to keep up as a man. Because once, well, once they think they have you figured out, you know, we change it all up on them. And God bless them. You know, they're trying as hard <laughs> as they can. But, you know, sometimes it, well, women don't, and this is something that maybe women have never thought about or, or could put words to, but sometimes we don't know what we want and we, we depend on the person who we love to kind of figure that out for us so that we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. And it's 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 something I address in my book is, you know, take responsibility for your own happiness because the problem with depending on somebody else to make you happy is if they're not perfect all the time, if you're not happy, you're going to blame them. And they're just trying to make you happy and maybe not getting it right every single time. But if you take responsibility for your own happiness – then what, what your partner does for you is more like dessert instead of starving to death waiting for a crumb. I, 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 um, I, I got this question, and we're going to come back to that, what you just talked about. Um, I'm just curious. I'm a single man. Uh, has the feedback been <laughs> – has it been greater for married men or single men? Or <laughs> can't, do, are you able to discern um, that? Well, people, single people look at me, and they say, well, I'll buy your book when I get in a relationship, and I think – don't wait until your relationship is starting to tank, starting to go downhill. You're starting to have miscommunications to buy my book. That Then it's more like a Band-Aid. Then you're just trying to fix a problem. Why not read my book, and then when you go into a relationship, you know what to do and what to not do so that it grows in a healthy way so that you can build a healthy foundation so if something goes wrong or you have a crisis or an upset in the relationship, you have something to fall back on because you've built a foundation for the relationship, and you did that through communication. Anybody will tell you in any field that, that has remotely related psychology, the biggest failure in relationships is always comes down to communication. And we're just not taught how to communicate. And it's one of the things, you know, I have a teen dating program called Get Smart Dating. And there's a link on my website called Get Smart Dating. And I go into the high schools and the colleges and teach the young kids. Uh, we play games on how do you, how to understand why a guy says he's going to call and then he doesn't, and why girls go to the bathroom in groups, and why girls are always interested in what I'm doing in my free time, and how come my girlfriend doesn't trust me, and you know on and on because these things aren't addressed in school, and we're supposed these kids are expected to know how to date, they're expected to know how to enter into serious relationships, they're expected to know how to be married and have children, and they're expected to know how to be great parents. They get no training. The only training they get is the role models around them, and you know I don't even want to tell you what I think of that. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, I could just reflect on my. Uh, I'm a divorcee. You know, I, I'm divorced. I married young. You know, senior year in college. My ex-wife was a freshman in college. I was a senior in college, and you know, uh, we were both looking to go ahead. You know, <laughs> we we went through the, the marriage counseling. We got we joined uh, our church's couples ministry and all of that, but it still, you know, we still had those issues that we weren't able to really address. And you know, 
led to divorce. But uh, but neither one of us in our primary formation uh, with relationships had that type of background or training to understand what it would take. So, you know, we went in he- head and heel forward and <laughs> jumped out as quick. Yeah, and, and, you know, if how different would it be if you knew what she needed when she was stressed out? How different would it be if she could give you what you needed when you were stressed out? Just as a beginning, you know, just as a beginning. You know, if you, if if these, if our kids today were taught how to fight fairly, if they were taught how to negotiate, if they were taught how to take a timeout when, when it, an argument or a conversation is starting to get heated, so they don't say things they regret later or mm. can be used against them later forever. Yes. You know, I mean, how how different would it be if they were just taught these things? And that's why one of the reasons I wrote the book is so that couples could have actual tools that they could use and go, okay, there's there's a rule about timeout. And so now I have a framework, at least a context, in which I can now look at how to handle arguments with my partner. Because maybe they all they ever saw was arguing or, or their parents never argued in front of them. And so they don't have any kind of context or framework in which to argue with somebody in a healthy way where the outcome isn't I hate you, I want a divorce. The outcome is we both feel like we got what we wanted, maybe not 100%, but I got some of what I wanted and you got some of what you wanted and it wasn't a lose-lose and it wasn't I win, you lose or I win, you. I mean, because being right isn't, you know, that's fleeting. And there's consequences that go along with being right that can't always, that aren't always in our best interest. Hey, uh, I know we we talked earlier, and uh, one of the things we talked about earlier off there was uh, the the uh, the compromising relation. Oh, or most why people get married. Uh, you know, they get married because you have something I want, kind of thing. Uh, right. you want to share share a little bit about that for our listeners. Right. Yes, what I was saying earlier was about how we kind of use the word love, but we really mean the word trade. And so if what I want is a companion who will share the finances with me and compliment me once in a while and I can have sex with, you know, I have my little list of what I want, and I find a person who has a a list and their list is something I'm willing to give and my list is something they're willing to give me, then we've just made a, a trade agreement that I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. Agreed? Agreed. And you shake on it, and, we, and then we call it love. And then we're really trading what we want. Because many couples don't go into a relationship saying, what do you want out of this relationship? How can I give you, what can I give you that will help you be a better person, that will grow you in your relationship with God? How can I help you in being closer to your family? How can I help you be a better person? What is it that you want to achieve? How can I help you achieve your dreams and goals? Who who says that to somebody when they're starting to date or when they're in a committed relationship and they're getting serious? You know, we talk about how many children do you want to have and where do you want to live and you know what do you want to, what kind of career do you want to have and we don't really ask the serious questions that that are really meaningful and and. Maybe I don't agree with what what my partner might want, but that doesn't matter. That's what they want. And I can't – it's like if if somebody gets upset about something and you don't think that they should be upset, well, they have the right to be upset. We may not agree with the reasoning, 
but but we can't deny them of the right to the fact that everybody has a right to be upset if if something's bothering them. Everybody has a right to grieve if they're sad. Everybody has a right to love if that's what they feel. We can't take that away from somebody, and we might not agree with it, but we can't deny that they have that right. Oh, exactly. Listen, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back from the break, uh, I want you to share a couple of the rules. Uh, okay. Um, for both men and women. Uh, as a matter of fact, I want to talk about uh, one, number one, and number four, and a couple others. But we'll talk about that on the back side of the break. We're joined by Janice Hoffman. We'll be back right after this. Hey folks, if you're like me, you got a lot of stuff on your computer. I'm always writing papers and saving them is important to me. But about a month ago, my computer crashed on me and I almost started to panic, but I didn't. I had everything backed up on the jump, but I also had Carbonite online. Since 2006, Carbonite has backed up over 80 billion files. 80 billion files. So that means you don't have to shuffle through your stacks of CDs or jump drives or whatever else. Carbonite Online uses the same encryption software that's used in online banking transaction and e-commerce. So you can be assured that your files are safe. As a matter of fact, it's so safe, it's kept in a storage. And if you lose it, you can get it right back because they, re they provide fast, simple, and easy file recovery straight back to your computer right where it was. And you can do it in a few simple steps. You can try Carbonite online for free for the next 15 days by visiting their website, www.carbonite.com. I'm telling you, I use it, I love it, and I'm sure you're going to love it too. Give them a try. Carbonite.com, an easy way to back up all your important files that you want to keep safe. You are different from you. And you are trying to forget about work while you are working late again. And you miss your kids. And you miss the waves. And you can't believe what you just saw. And you need to laugh. And you need to cry. And you just can't get her out of your mind. While you just want to know if he's okay. But you need a place to eat. So you stop and listen to that band you saw that time near that place. While you let everyone know you're almost there. And you want to share. And you want to think. And you are trying. 
trying to remember, and you are trying to forget. And you've come to realize that you don't need to get a phone. You need a phone that gets you, and you, and you, and we are HTC. Hey, friends. Uh, It's almost Mother's Day. I know you're probably not thinking about it now, but you need to start considering Mother's Day. Matter of fact, Easter, Mother's Day, birthdays, any day, ProFlowers.com has the gift for you. You can get anything. I mean, they have an array of flowers that you can get that's beautiful, and you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is just go to their site, check it out, and pick it, ship it, and you'll get good loving. You'll be in good standing with your mother. You'll get good loving from your wife, whatever it may be. Pro Flowers. And listen, if you go now, you can get a 20% uh, uh, off discount if you go to proflowers.com. Simply go to their website, www.proflowers.com, or you can call them at 800-580-2913 and get your flowers, get all that stuff. And you can tell them that you heard about it right here on Zero Today. Might get you a little extra saving. So go ahead. Go ahead and start saving and getting ready for Mother's Day, Valentine's Day next year, whatever occasion it may be. Pro Flowers has it for you. I always like doing those live promos. It's fun. And by the way, I'm going to profiles because I have a friend who has a birthday coming up. And I want to make sure I'm good with the object profile. So go ahead. I'm telling you, I'll be disappointed. We're joined this hour by Janice Hoffman. She's the author. She's the author of Relationship Rules, 12 Strategies that... Uh, creating a love that lasts. I had to put the book in front of me. And uh, Janice, you still with us? I'm still with you. Janice has been so great uh, in sharing some things with us about relationships and her relationship, uh, you know, her start and how she got done, how the book came about. But she has some very interesting rules or strategies uh, for men and women, and that's the great thing I like. I love about the book, uh, Janice. As you mentioned earlier, you wrote for both of us, <laughs> for men and women. Did, yeah, and I, you I know, did. For from for the you know, it's almost like a relationship for dummies kind of book. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, I'm sorry. Uh, let me strike that, move that way. Um, but there are some strategies, there are some rules that really caught my attention, and I want you to. Uh, uh, share a little bit more about these rules. First rule, rule number one, help your partner succeed in making you happy. Wow. Expound on that, please. Well, you know, women believe that if you love me and you know me and you've taken the time to really know what I want, what I don't want, what I like and what I don't like, I don't have to tell you what I want. I don't have to leave hints and notes and you should just know and women really in my experience they really don't want to give up that thought and men have racked their brain trying maybe they tried something and maybe his partner didn't really realize that he was even trying and maybe made some comment that that cut him at the knees but he didn't say anything so unbeknownst to her that whole event happened he then doesn't feel like what he did worked. 
So maybe he'll try something else and have the same experience. And she'll, again, not realize that he's trying because she doesn't see it that way. And she doesn't know that this is how men express themselves many times is through doing things, not so much in saying things. And so what happens with a man is he'll try three or four times and he'll just give up. You know, men aren't into failure. That's not. No, we we are not. Testosterone and failure do not go together. And so if if it's not working and what he's doing isn't working, he'll just give up. And then she'll start complaining that he's not trying anymore. And then she'll start getting resentful. And then she won't want to give him what he wants because she doesn't feel like she's getting what she wants. And the whole point of this rule is help him be more successful in making you happy. Make a wish list. I have a wish list that starts with diamonds and ends with incense. Pick your price range. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, men like the challenge, don't they? they? They like the challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you have a wish list that's current and you leave it for with – you know, in a place where he can find it or you email it to him or, or you know, I have it on a little piece of paper in my nightstand, then if he wants to do something special for me or a birthday or anniversary or Christmas or something, a holiday is coming up, he can go to that list and he doesn't have to say, what do you want? And I say, well, I want this. And then he goes out and buy it. Because women view that, you know, maybe put it in these words, but women view that as, wow, you can follow instructions really well. Good for you. Bravo. And that's Absolutely. not romantic. Following instructions is not romantic. I don't want to have to tell you what I want. I don't want to have to tell you go buy tickets for this event or this concert or, or I want to go out to dinner at this restaurant. The fact that when we drove by, I said, wow, that would be fun to go there or I'd really like to go there. I, women expect men to be so intuitive that they pick up on all the little hints that women give. And sometimes the hints are, are in disguise. So in disguise might look like, you know, we never go out to dinner anymore. And, and he's thinking on a factual basis that's not true. And what she really means is, you know what, I'd really like to go out to dinner with you, and it seems like it's been forever since we went out. But if she says that, she'll have to make herself vulnerable. And if she makes herself vulnerable and he doesn't come back with a caring response, then she's going to feel hurt, and she doesn't want to feel hurt. So she tries, a, a, she tries it from an approach that she believes where she won't get her feelings hurt. And that's where the phrase, we never do this anymore, comes from, which is a phrase that no couple should ever use with each other because nothing good comes from that lead-in phrase. Nothing. It's you, always misinterpreted. You, you make a good point there uh, because, I, you know, most of us men, we, you know, we're slow. I I can say it. We're, we're slow when it comes to catching hints and all of that stuff. And that would surely help. I I know it helped me, but hey, that's just me. What do I know? <laughs> uh, the other one I wanted that really caught my eye was rule number four. Appreciate your partner for their efforts, big and small. Share a little bit more about that. Well, if you, you go to work, you work 40-plus hours a week, what you get for all your hard work is you get a paycheck. And then you go home to your relationship, to your family, and you put in more than 40 hours a week, and what do you get for all your hard work? Men, want, men gravitate to where the appreciation is. Men are motivated by appreciation. Men will, one of their emotional needs is to be appreciated. So if he's appreciated more at the gym than at the home or on the computer than at home by his partner or at work or the bar 
or wherever it might be, if that's where he's getting his appreciation, he's going to gravitate to that appreciation. One of the things I say all the time, a man, it's a lot easier to keep a happy woman happy than to make a sad woman happy and then keep her there. And men men want, they want to make us happy, but they don't want it to be like, you know, digging a grave where it's so much hard work. They, they want it to be easy, and sometimes we make it difficult for them because we feel, as women or as a partner, we feel like we're not getting what we want. We want romance. We want you to open our door. We want, but you know what? How is he supposed to know that if you don't tell him? And John Gray has a, a call-in number where you can call in and talk to our relationship coach. And, and people call in and they express their problem. And the response that, the, that these call-in coaches always say to the caller is, have you told your partner as clearly as you said to me what you want? Have you told that to your partner? And nine times out of ten, the answer is no. So if you don't communicate what you want, it's really hard for them to give it to you. And, and if you appreciate the little things as well as the big things, because men tend to think, well, if I give her the house or I get the car or I get to this, then she'll be happy and I'll be off the hook for a while and I don't have to work so hard keep her happy because that's a big thing and that should keep her happy for a while. Well, you know, with women, it, 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 we give you a point for each thing you do, whether it's big or little. So if you come home with a rose, you get a point. If you come home with a whole 12 roses, you get a point. It, it's the effort that was put into it. If you come home every day for 12 days with one rose, you get 12 points. Because I have this formula, women take what you do say and give in any, at any moment in time, add it all together, and that's how they believe, that's how much they believe you care, is how you behave at any given time. And, and it isn't just what you do, and it isn't just what you say, and it isn't just what you give, it's all of it. All right, I got a caller on the line. He's been waiting patiently. And caller, okay. uh, you, you're on the air. Go ahead and share or with your comments, questions, or whatever you have for Janice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hi, Janet. I really, hi. Uh, can you hear me? Hi. Oh, yes. Oh, good, good, good. Now, I really like what Janet is saying. Uh, my background is engineering, and then I shifted into law, so I have a very structured orientation. Now, that's and a big shift. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, they, they were always connected for me. But at any rate, um, what happens is, and, and I, I hope we can be real candid. I, I love women. I shouldn't have to say that, but... The real problem is women tend to be very poor communicators, and that's what I, I've heard Janet say uh, several times. But what happens is because we're so afraid of criticizing women, we don't help women improve their communication because expecting men to be intuitive to where they know what you want is just absolutely ridiculous. You have a mouthpiece, and you need to explain what you want. And men do want things to be easy, and they should be easy. And, Pastor, I, I've got to, you know, say to you, men are not slow at all. Men build and maintain <laughs> the world. So we're not slow. <laughs> I was just saying as a joke. I, I, know yeah, yeah, I know, but I just want to. <laughs> This wanted to make that point because you raised the hackles on my neck when you said that. Oh but, my uh, Janet, one of the things I say, and I look at things uh, at their origin or as close as, as possible to their origin, uh, I, I say most women have a low male IQ. Not all, but most do, because they don't initiate conversation. I wrote the seven principles to love, sex, and dating and their seven results, 
And I deal with the two organic areas that 21st century women uh, tend to shy away from, and that is initiating communication. They talk about how important communication is, but that very communication is what they shy away from initiating. And I just put it in the simple formula saying, hi to a guy, how are you, and engaging in polite conversation. And uh, something like 70% of women, black women particularly, have been described as single. So something is way out of whack there. And I say it's most of these women. Excuse me? Do you think it's out of a fear of rejection? Yeah, well, it's two things. That is part of it, but I think more important than that, I talk about veto power uh, juxtaposed to original choice power. I think a lot of women uh, grow up wanting to be in control, uh, wanting to dominate, and requiring that guys come to you exclusively or certainly mostly uh, is, is a power play. And that creates a situation to where only the guys who are able to crack her code, as it were, or break down her shield, uh, that's that's the extent of of their interest. Their interest is exhausted once they break down her shield. But what she's doing at the same time is avoiding all the guys that she could have a normal relationship with. And I normally talk about the James Evans-type character, you know, and I deal with professional women all the time. And I tell them, if you don't have a man, something is wrong with you, either in the attitude area, the conversational area, or the weight area, or possibly all. One of the things things that I believe is that, because, I mean, if you look back 20, 30 years, relationships are very different. Women weren't in the workplace like they were, like they are today, and we kind of take for granted that it's always been this way. And what I think women have done is... You're exactly right, and I use that. Oh, had you finished? Uh, well, I was just going to say that that what ha- what's happened is women have taken on some of the worst qualities of men in this whole desire to have equality. Wow! In, in, and we've, I mean, women are more aggressive. They're more violent. More women are incarcerated than ever before. And and we're you know, especially in corporate America, you're either aggressive and labeled, or or you're passive and labeled, and you can't even be middle of the road. And so. And, and, and I mean, I've just I've met so many women and just appalled by some of the things I hear come out of their mouth because I I expect that out of some truck driver or sailor kind of you know that kind of languaging, and it's just amazing to me. But I think it comes from women wanting to be on that equal page with men and thinking, well, the way I need to do that is take on some of the negative qualities that some men have. And right. I, I think I women think need to get in touch with their femininity because. I think what attracts men, women to men, is the fact that we are feminine. Not that we're they're equal and power mongers or, or you know, seeking control or anything like that. It's the femininity that that I would like to see women go back to, and at the same time holding on to their self esteem. Right. Well, we believe we believe that you are equal, but and and you're right in what you're saying. But what we want is is for you to be more social, and that provides a protection to you, too, because it allows you to get to know a guy other than on a level of trickery. Uh, Right. Because most Mm -hmm. of the relationships, unfortunate, when a woman says, I want a man to chase me, 
Uh, let me just say, I consider that absolutely non-adult. That's silly. Because if right. we want to communicate, just picture this, and I ask people to often draw me a picture of this. Uh, that's ego and low self-esteem and some ignorance. Because if we want to communicate, we should do that. We should communicate. I shouldn't attempt to communicate with you, and then you start faking me out, and I've got to chase you. That just makes no sense. And so what oh, we have to yeah, and so what we have to do, and I think women hold the key to this far more than men, because if a man approaches a woman and she doesn't have the maturity to be receptive to him, well, then uh, situation over. And that is the reason I encourage more women today to initiate conversation, and that's what we're talking about, uh, Janet and uh, Pastor Neil. We're just talking about communication, and we attach too much to it, uh, that's not there, and we need to learn how to do that first. So I talk about women communicating, and then this is the other real, 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 real sticky area. Now, I say women can pay for first dates. Their money is not just for buying shoes and going shopping, but I also say the first five dates should be a walk in the park and a bottle of water. If the two people are really intent on getting to know each other, where communication is facilitated. But I, I find that some women have an initial, uh, you know, re negative reaction to that. Not 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 all, but, you know, some do. Oh, the biggest but it reason is women not... have a... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that there are arguments, and we are presenting reasons for where we are, as you alluded to earlier, and they don't have solid reasons because I say if you want to communicate, that's a perfect place to do it. A guy did, and, and then this, enti this entitlement attitude uh, tends to surface where they feel they deserve this. Now, there's a passage in the Bible that says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But what women thing. have is very stealthily substituted the word woman for wife. And hmm. that is a misappropriation of that verse and a, and a gross misinterpretation. Sure, finding a wife is fantastic, but I shouldn't. But a man shouldn't have to waste all of his resources on women that are not wives to him. Well, well Carla, let me jump in here real quick. Uh, you, you make some very good points. And matter of fact, I'm going to have to get you back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and talk uh, talk a little bit more about that. So uh, uh, put your information in the chat room or send me an email with, with your in, with your information so we can get back in uh, contact again. Uh, yeah, well, recite your email. I, I can drop you an email. Go ahead with your point. All right. Uh, I forgot it just that quick. <laughs> oh. So, uh, uh, and Janice, I want you to share uh, – Get your insight on this. Uh, he's bringing it up from uh, the African-American perspective uh, with relationships. Now, I know your book doesn't address that, but um, there is a big difference between uh, ethnicities as it comes to, you know, in relating uh, and building relationships. Um, and there's a great disjunct, disjoint in the African-American community when it comes to uh, women and, and men, and, and more particularly uh Men, most young black men, you know, they're not trained to be uh, monogamous or some, you know, committed. And most single black men who are single today are actually afraid of commitment. How can these rules 
these strategies empower and liberate uh, these, you know, black men, black women, young black men, young black women? Well, I think, you know, regardless of race, I think that we all want to be in a relationship and there's a certain, you know, and I think this is universal, there's more women than men. So women are already at a disadvantage. Then you have women, I mean, if you put it all in a pie, here's all the women, right? Then there's there's a certain section of pie of women who are very desperate and they'll be in a relationship with just about anybody just for the sake of being in a relationship. And then you have women who are very confident and and they know what they want and they hold out for what they want. And then you have women who who um who I just I'm drawing a blank, but there's you know <laughs> we, we come from I we come I mean, it's it's hard to say because everybody comes into it from their own perspective and their own belief system and their own you know past history. And so some men won't commit because many times and this is true. Their very first love broke their heart, and they're very afraid to love again. They are. Yes. So they'll go from woman to woman to woman to woman and really never wanting to commit because they never want to experience that kind of heartache again. So right. that's what I mean. It's like we come from so many different perspectives. You know, there's women, especially as women get older, and they think love may never come my way again. And so maybe some guy comes along and shows interest in them, and they compromise themselves in ways that they never would because they think this is their last chance at love, which is ridiculous. But they don't know that, and, you know, that's just their fear. And so they settle, you know. And um, Alana Van Zandt has this great quote about, you know, if what you ordered is a sandwich on rye bread and they bring you a sandwich on wheat toast, you would say to the waitress or the waiter, you know, excuse me, but I ordered the different kind of bread. Would you please make it correctly? And, and you'd send it back. Well, we don't do that relationship. Sometimes if we're desperate or if we're lonely, Many people just don't want to be alone, and they'll settle. And and it, that's that's not what we ordered. Waiting, you know, waiting for what you ordered, holding out, believing that God is going to send and and put you in the place at the right time when you're in the right place, and that other person is in the right place, and believing that that will take place, that that will happen, and and not feeling like we have to be in control of being in a relationship or not. First of all, it's very freeing, and second of all, a little better meeting the right guy than trying to force it, or the right girl than trying to force it and make it happen. You know, and I totally agree with that caller on his the communication. We, I couldn't agree with him more. We're just not taught how to communicate and ask the right questions. You know, I wrote an article, 25 questions to ask before you get married, and 25 questions to ask before you remarry if you already have children. And, and I think if most couples were to ask each other those questions and go through the whole entire list, there'd probably be some deal breakers in there because they didn't know that was true for them. They never had that conversation. Right. Yeah. I, I have an observation if my mic is still open. It's still open. Go ahead. Oh, great. Yeah. You know, I think the church could be a tremendous, uh, not, not, well, the church could be a great facilitator in uh, communication between men and women. And I, I, I say quite honestly, uh, men settle a lot too. I made that observations in in my outline in my writings. I've been there. And uh, I say many times, women don't know what they want. They honestly do not know what they want. And I think we need to leave the door open to talk about this because often. 
whenever anything is said about women, it's almost as if there's a, an 11th commandment, thou shalt not criticize a woman. But we, we all need, uh, you know, objective uh, observations so that we can grow. So that's one of my observations is that most women do not, and, and to quote Dr. Gray, he talked about an expansive awareness and a focused awareness. I read his book, and I, um, I, I actually bought a number of copies and gave them away as conversational pieces. And so I, some of his observations were good, but I don't know if you're familiar with this one, Janet. He said that uh, men care more about women than women care about men. Have you ever heard him say that? I don't think I've ever heard him say that in particular. He said, he said that directly, talking with the popular, with no, the talk show host here in L.A. because he was interviewing him. Because that one of the hot, hottest topics there you know, is, I, I, is relationships. Yeah, but you know I, the fact of the matter is, is we do care about you all. And I mentioned the James Evans type guy. There are plenty of men. I often hear this quote that there aren't sufficient men. That is just factually incorrect. If you look at the women who are felons, who are commitment phobic, who are lesbians, and who just don't want to be in a relationship for whatever reason, you have about an equal number of men and women that are eligible for a relationship. It's about an equal number. And just because there, are, there may be greater numbers of women, just like I stated, it doesn't mean that those women are available for a relationship with a man. It just means that those raw numbers have not been tested. So we need to be careful of saying that because if you have 10 women, uh, maybe she won't be compatible with But maybe um, out of 10 women, uh, maybe only one of those women or one and a half on the aggregate will be compatible with the particular man, you see. So just the numbers, just reciting the numbers is meaningless. But I think uh, uh, one of my ideas was is to for us to see ourselves dating, is to have a dating show to where we ask, for example, like those 25 questions. We need to practice what we're horrible at. And I think dating, uh, the old rules don't work, and we need to establish some new rules that do work. Now, I say to women, get off the Internet. You don't even need to be on the Internet. Just talk to guys when you're out in the grocery store at the gas station, get to know guys, have some cards, maybe have a cell phone that, you know, if you're afraid to just give them your phone number, just have a special phone just for talking to guys. I even tell women to set up a dating budget. See, women get serious about everything but dating. They'll complain about dating, but they won't do anything. That is the vast majority of women. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that 70% who are single. So set up a dating budget just like you would an auto maintenance budget so that you can pay on, on dates. Women should take guys out. Uh, like Rachel in the Bible, she differentiated herself. Uh, strike that. Rebecca, the wife, of, um, the wife of Isaac. And Ruth proposed to Boaz. True. So call you it, have – go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry I got to interrupt you because of running out of time. and. Uh, okay. We're gonna give you the uh, email in a second, uh, Janet. 
I want you to give a few closing thoughts and share with the listeners how they can contact you, order your book. Um, okay. All of that information. Go right ahead. Well, um, I just want to clarify for the, all the listeners, it's, it's Janice, Janet. not Janet. Um, it's Janice, and it's J-A-N-I-C-E, and they can reach me if they want to have any questions at all at Janice at RelationshipRules.com, and it's R-U-L-E-S. My website is also RelationshipRules.com, and my book, there's um, a chapter they can read on my website if they like. You can order it off Amazon.com, any major bookstore, Barnes & Noble. It's also available on Nook, iPad, and Kindle, um, and I'm available for consultations. So send me an email. Let me know what you have on your mind, and I'd be happy to be in touch. And Janice, we're glad that you joined. I am so glad that you joined joined in. Um, for those are we, listeners, are we gonna, huh? Oh yeah. Were we going to the book? Yes. Uh, now this is what uh, Janice has allowed me to do, and I'm glad that she's allowed me the opportunity uh, to uh, the first listener who sends me an email. Uh, you will get a free copy of Janice's book, Relationship Rules. Uh, she's going to bless that and sow that into your life. Um, but you got to, uh, to verify that you're listening, <laughs> you got to send me an email and provide all your information, and we'll make sure that you get that copy, that free copy of your book. Again, the email is pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com. Um, and uh you can send, if you can hit me up on Facebook too. If you hit me up on Facebook, I'll count that also. So, um, uh, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail dot com. Caller, we're glad that you stayed on the line. You were so patient. Uh, go ahead and get your information to me, and we're glad, we're definitely going to have you on the show again. Uh, Janice, again, we we'll really appreciate you for joining us on the show. Um, take a quick break, and we're going to have some. Uh, I'll come back with some final comments uh, about the show. But um, thanks so much thank for you. having. Thank you. We'll be right back. Close the thoughts. A two-minute meditation from Pastor Lorenzo Neal. The book of Daniel, the first chapter, talks about four heroic young Hebrew boys who lived during a time of captivity, yet remained faithful to the God of their ancestors and themselves. Daniel, Azariah, Meshiel, and Hananiah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were all children like myself when they began serving God even though they began serving God while in captivity. They were young men who had high intellect, a stable spiritual life, and good physical appearances. Serving God paid off for them. Not only did they obtain favor from God, but they also obtained favor from men. But they proved themselves faithful to God in spite of very difficult situations. 
course you can recall the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to the image presented before them. Yet, when they were tossed into a fiery furnace, even the king himself worried about them. And when he went to find them, not only did he find them well, but he also found the Son of Man. And also, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the king also worried. But we found that God protected him, and he was delivered from the lion. God wants you to be faithful to him. Why? Because he's faithful to you. There's nothing you can do, really. The only thing you can really do is serve him in the newness of life. The psalmist put it this way. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you shall dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Beloved, the key is to be faithful. If you're faithful over a few things, God will make you rule over many. This has been one exciting show. And I, I'm I'm very glad for all of my guests who came on, Susanna Barlow and Janice Hoffman. Both of them, both of these ladies have uh, great stories and sharing um, things that empower you, the listener, to have a fulfilling and abundant life. Um, and remember, anytime you miss a live broadcast, you can also always catch uh, archive archive shows on BlogTalkRadio.com/slash Lorenzo T Neal. You can go to uh, my website. Excuse me. You can go to the website, um, LorenzoTNeal.wordpress.com, and catch an archived show. You can catch one, uh, Facebook, Twitter. And also, you can go to uh, – we have iPods on the iTunes store, so you can catch a, you can download the iPod of the show on the iTunes. And down into your iPod, iPhone, iPad, whatever else you got. So, again, we really appreciate you for tuning in with us. And we're going to go out with this song by Earth, Wind, and Fire, Change Your Mind. Until next time, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, Zero Out Today. Be blessed.